Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and the Rugby Tonight podcast is back with an England Six Nations special. We're joined by Radio 1 DJ Greg James ahead of his triathlon challenge for sport relief. 2003 World Cup winner Lewis Moody, England women's head coach Simon Middleton and London Irish winger Alex Lewington also visited the studio for an action-packed show. Here are the best bits. Enjoy. First up, it's time to meet our first guest. He's a Rugby World Cup winner. In fact, his medal hall includes Six Nations Championships, Heineken Cups, Premiership titles. We could call him a former England captain, a Leicester legend, a Bath old boy, but we like to call him Mad Dog. Tell us about the uh, Legends game that you're in training for at the moment. What's happening? Yeah, so on the, on the 29th of, of Feb, we've got an England v Ireland Legends game, and uh, Ugo is joining Dusting us. Dusting off the boots. Yeah. Pins aren't quite ready for it, but there we are. Yeah, looking, <laughs> looking slightly bigger than mine. These are getting particularly skinny. But yeah, so there's a number of charities that benefit um, the Benevolent Fund, my foundation. But it's, uh, it's been going for seven years now, Jason Leonard. Started it off, and, uh, and Shane Byrne will be captaining the. I think you played in there. I think I played, might have made an appearance. Yeah, it's yeah. quite tough. Coming back? Uh, not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just tell us a bit about the foundation, your foundation. What does it? Uh, what does it do? Does so it... yeah, so we, we put on days out of the ordinary for uh, for young families suffering with serious illness, and uh, and we raise money for, for the brain tumor charity. So, brain tumors uh, are the biggest cancer killer of under 40s, but they only have two percent of all cancer funding. So, the money that we raise goes goes to them. Brilliant. Well, we wish you all the best with that. Give them a round of applause. How about Eddie Jones? Fresh into the job, his first ever Six Nations on the horizon. We sent Ali Egan along for a bit of a chat with the New England head coach. Have you drawn on a lot of other coaches over your time? You've been around the world and coached, but I, I was reading the other day about your your time with Bayern Munich and Pep Guardiola. Are there, are there players and, and coaches who you particularly respect and admire and have kind of drawn from? Well, I think, you know, Bob DeWire, who coached Australia the 91 World Cup, he was, always used to say, and I think it's so true, the best players are the best coaches. And you learn most from coaching the best players. You know, I've been lucky enough to coach some of the best players in the world and you learn so much from those players. And then you can go to other sports and learn from equally good coaches you know just little things they're always little things you pick up but as a coach you're always trying to get better as you want your players to get better what did you learn from Guardiola uh, well I think I might have said you know after watching him coach the side I was embarrassed the way I was coaching 
that he was so insistent on, and these were the, some of the best players in the world, on doing the small things well. And I probably hadn't been doing that. You know, and and at, one of the things you're taught early when you play rugby or when you coach is that the small things in the game win, win you the big things in the game. So if that's your, your mantra and detail is your big thing, um, do you think, from your short time here already, do you feel like um, you've got the, the, the necessary means by which to impart that information, largely on account of your huge experience across the globe? Do you feel like that has prepared you for essentially pretty much anything? Well, let's hope so. You know, it's going to take time. Any, anything good takes time. Um, but, yeah, I feel like the players are going to be... I know English players are hard-working and I know they're going to be receptive because I know they would have been very disappointing what happened in the World Cup. They would have felt like they let the country down and I'm sure they're going to be wanting to come back and put that England shirt on and play with a pride and passion that hasn't been seen for a long time. It's a special job, though, this one, isn't it? Um quite apart from the fact that it's the world's biggest union, you have the most amount of players, you have a heck of a lot of money to play with. Um, accompanying that is the scrutiny and the spotlight and the pressure. Um, you're ready for all of that? You're going to relish all of that? Or are you kind of a little bit anxious about all of that? Well, you know, at the end of the day, all I can do is do my best and that's what I'll be doing. And you accept that when we're not doing well, the media is going to come at you and they're going to say, why did the RFU appoint a, a foreign coach? So that's all going to be part and part parcel of it. You had, a, you had a health scare, didn't you, a couple of years ago, suffered a, a mini stroke. Um, when we talk about the pressures and the stresses of which there are many, does that bother you at all? Did, did you think twice about taking this post on that account or not? Well, there's a great American case said that you only have pressure when you don't know what you're doing, so hopefully I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and what about the family? Because your, your wife has been over here previously, yeah. hasn't she? Um, and you, you, headed, you headed for home um, a little bit early on account of, of her not particularly warming to the place. Do you think it's going to be better second time around? She's got a big overcoat. She'll be all right. <laughs> Good to know. Um, what's your motivation, Eddie, now, having done all this in various different places, in Australia, South Africa, Japan? What's your big motivation now? Well, the big motivation is to get England playing good rugby. If we play good rugby, we can become the most dominant rugby team in the world. If we become the most dominant rugby team in the world, we can win the World Cup. And that would be fantastic. Okay. So in terms of career goals, do you have, I mean, does it rankle with you still, even though you were part of, very much part of South Africa's win in 07, that it was England who took it away from you in 2003? Does the World Cup win? Do you want one of your own? Oh, it'd be always nice to win one. But uh, yeah, I think the enjoyment I get is from seeing my team play good rugby and the, enjoy and the other enjoyment is seeing players improve and really you know, realise their potential. And I think in both of those cases in England, there's great opportunities for the team to play better and the players to play better. So I'll get enjoyment out of doing those things. And if we do them well enough, we're going to win a lot of trophies. Obviously, in this country, we talk and we refer back to 03 a huge amount, maybe arguably too much. Um, two things strike me. One, you'll have your good friend Clive Woodward throwing stones at you from the outside as opposed to um, from the inside now. And secondly, um, do you have a plan to kind of try and integrate any of those guys in, in whatever shape or form, whether as assistant coaches or um, into your inner sanctum in any way to try to draw on what they what they can offer? Yeah, 
I think you're always looking to get the best information and certainly I try to catch up to those people when appropriate. You know, some are in media now, so it's obviously a little bit more difficult. You know, others aren't and, you know, we've got Richard Hill working at the RFU, so he's already helping develop the, the underlying uh, development of the team. You know, there'll be other guys that we may look to use in the future. So it's a combination of understanding where they are in their lives and how they can contribute and, and, and what we need. Where are we with the Johnny Wilkinson situation? Because I appreciate you, you had a chance meeting with him at the supermarket counter. Um, has it led to anything further? Can we, can we be seeing him in an England shirt again in a, a coaching capacity? Look, I think Johnny will play an informal role helping with the kicking. Yeah, and no, I think that'll be the extent of it for now, but who knows what it might develop in the future. And George Smith, any advance on that? Uh, probably cost us a few pints to get him across to do it. Uh, maybe we can afford that. Look, you know, that's one thing we can consider. I'd have to speak to Di Young and, and see if he's available to do it and whether his availability suits us. But he's certainly skilled in coaching breakdown. But the notion of having individuals coming in and working on particular things for short spells appeals to you clearly because your coaching team is lean isn't it 100 percent, yeah we've got a small core coaching team and we'll need to get specialists in to help us if you're looking at, at the clubs clearly you've, you've drawn hugely from those who've been particularly successful at the moment the saracens the, the harlequins um, the leicesters um that's not to say that if you're playing for a, a, a Worcester or a, or a Sale or a London Irish that your, your eyes aren't naturally drawn to them. What's your policy regarding that kind of thing? Does everybody start off, start off a, a fresh slate? Everyone's a chance. You know, we're watching every game that's played. Uh, we're looking for talented players. And, you know, players select themselves. We don't select the players. Like, I go to a game and the players select themselves. So I went and watched a game uh, on... Saturday night, and two players just played out of their skin. So if I was from Mars, and I knew nothing about rugby and I came there, and I'd say those two guys are international players. That's what I want to see players do. So every player, every player in, the, in the premiership's an option. You know, we're looking at them. Obviously, consistency of performance is important, but we're looking to see for good players. Clearly, that helps if they're playing in a winning team, though, you're, you're going to naturally look at a team that's working and functioning really effectively to, to draw your, your key men from. Well, sometimes it makes it difficult, yeah, but if they're a really talented player, then you're still going to see that shine through. Okay. And when it comes to Europe, do you see, when well, we talked about it a little bit before, but do you see that as a, as a, as a big step between Premiership rugby and, and international rugby? I mean, in your mind, is, is that... A standard that's altogether different. Definitely and, and, and it gives you, from a selection point of view, it gives you a greater appreciation of what players are going to come through and play international rugby. So you go from club rugby to Champions Cup and everything's faster at Champions Cup. Then you go to international rugby and it's faster again. That's always a progression and so the speed of your action and the speed you're able to think or or the speed you're able to do things differentiates the players. It's, it's not the physical capacity. You look at the physical capacity of the 12 teams in the competition, there's not a great difference. It's all about your ability to, to make decisions quickly and then do it skillfully. 
and the time and the space gets smaller and smaller and faster and faster as you go up the hierarchy of rugby. So it's quite an effective sifting mechanism for you. You can automatically wipe some people out because they're not handling it and those that are capable are shining. Okay. Eddie, do you have a broad remit here at the RFU or are you simply working on your first 15, your, your top 23, winning a Six Nations title, taking England to, to a World Cup in Japan? Is there, is there a broader remit than that? Look, you know, I've, I've come here for four years and my job's to make the England side winning. So I've got to do everything I can to do that. Yeah, I'm happy to assist in other areas and I, and I have been, but it's not my primary responsibility. And, yeah, there are other, peoples in the, other people in the union who have got that responsibility. Okay. And I'm quite happy to assist them. Do you see that if you're successful, everything else slots into place? Is that your opinion on it? Or does it, I mean, presumably it needs a structure underneath which exists to make it all happen. But clearly if you're working at the top and the England team is winning, everything else should flow from that, shouldn't it? Well, I think if you've got a, generally in most sports around the world, if you've got a successful national team, the underlying structures tend to follow. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that you're looking after those. So you've got to be keeping an eye down. Yeah, and we're always looking at to see how the younger players are coming through. We had a meeting two weeks ago, uh, Steve Borthwick and I, with all the under 20, under 18 coaches, just to talk, talk about how we felt England needed to play and also the sort of selection criteria we're looking for. So you're looking for everyone to work together, but also to have some independence. And, and presumably as well, you want your ethos to filter down a little bit below your immediate remit. A lot of talk over the last few years here about culture and how that breeds performance. Do you believe that culture breeds performance or do you believe that performance, you, should, you need to start with that before the culture follows? Well, it's a bit like the chicken and the egg. Who knows? Uh, look, I think for me, and, and for this period of time, we've got to focus on the way we play. Now, if we're disciplined and we're, we work as a team together on the field, we'll have little problems off the field. That'll follow. Yeah. Brilliant. We certainly get the feeling that life with Eddie is going to be a lot of fun. The proof, of course, comes when the Six Nations starts. Now, Lawrence, you've got a name check in that interview. He talks about the old England, the abrasive England, and Long the change. <laughs> yeah, he's, and interestingly, he's saying, don't, we don't want to go back to the England of 2003, because life after that didn't go so well. He takes it back to 97, 98, with this change, this wholesale change of the way England played the rugby. Do you identify with that? Do you think he's right to want to go back to that start? Well, he's a smart guy, Eddie Jones. I think he's just trying to measure everyone's expectations. Um, you know, he knows that the pressure's on now. Um, and, he, you know, in, in, in a way, he is right. You know, in 97, 98, we were ranked about fifth in the world. Um, I think we set our objectives to try and get to become the best side in the world, but we knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. You know, it took us six years, actually. Um, hopefully, this team under Eddie Jones won't take that long because I think they're in a, they're in a better place now. But... Uh, you know, he's used to working with the very best, you know, rugby players. He produced some outstanding rugby with the Brumbies um, in 98, I think, in, with Australia in, you know, from 2000 to 2003. Um, and he knows how to get the best out of the players. So uh, really looking forward to seeing that. He's normally used to working with a smaller group of players, you know, in Australia and Japan. Look at the pool of talent that he's got to choose from here. And uh, the signs are very exciting, uh, but he's just trying to be measured with his approach. He knows that, the, you know, he will get England playing with that attacking style but that forward platform, the foundations, the structures 
will take that little bit of time to put into place. When you look at that playing pool, you think actually this team can go any really way. They have a lot of options. But what do you think the personality of this team is going to be, Lewis? Uh, how do you think it's going to work out? Well, I think, you know, Eddie Jones has made no bones about it. As he wants a forthright England team that prepared to put it all on the line. And, and he's picked a captain that, that's going to play in that manner, you know. I, I, I like Eddie Jones in that sense. You know, he, he knows what he wants and, and he goes out for it. He's not going to be swayed by anyone. He's always said he wants that belligerent side that, you know, going back to Martin Johnson and Lawrence Diallo. Lawrence Diallo, yeah, yeah. Going back sorry. to... Sorry, I'll get to it one day. It's been a long time. But, uh, <laughs> you know, those boys that, that really put it about. And, uh, you know, Dylan's, Dylan's key to making that happen. It's just whether, you know, can he keep that cool, calm, collected head? Well, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, Dylan Hartley and the choice that he's made there as his captain. Very controversial. He came out, first of all, saying the best player has to be the captain. Is he the best player? Well, he's coming back from injuries. He's had limited game time. But I think what he represents is a mind shift for England. We spoke about 98 and the likes of these guys beating people up and doing that in a legal way, being abrasive. Well, he represents that probably more so than anyone within that team. He does lean on that, on that edge. In an England shirt, he's actually he's been pretty clean. He's got a fantastic win record. He's an experienced guy and he's at the forefront of everything, which is good. Every good England team's been built on a solid pack, a solid like front five, a solid front three. And he's he's in the heart of that. His darts are absolutely outstanding. Going up to Murrayfield next week, you need players like him to be on that edge. And players players like him. They, they, they've really enjoyed his captaincy. He will challenge things. He'll step up for them on and off the pitch. And for me, he's an outstanding choice as captain. But, but, but it's not just about him leading from the front and being at the front of the bus pumping his chest. It's actually the, the other details, being around the squad, having the little conversations with, with, uh, with players, with the support staff, and just bringing everyone together. And I think uh, certainly... When Northampton were playing some excellent rugby in the last couple of years, it was when you know, he was captain. They've taken the captaincy away from him, giving it to other people, and they've dropped off. So I think it's a good choice, bit of experience as well, at a time when England need it most. I think it's key, it's key for him to focus on his own performance as well, because mm -hmm. you know, when, when you become captain, there's, there's a lot of other things you can focus on, and, and you need to make sure they're right. But I think for Dylan, especially in this first game, for him to make sure he focuses on his own performance, being as good as he can be, because there are so many hookers around at the moment. Mm -hmm. That are, that are vying for that position. So if he knows he is having his best game week in, week out, there's no other problems. Radio 1 DJ Greg James, you like to test yourself and do weird things. Well, I like to, um, I like a challenge and I like doing stuff that is silly and I, I don't like to take things too seriously and I, I, I think it's, uh, I think stuff like that is just stupid. So I, I like it. And I, I do, I always say yes to a challenge. Excellent. So that's why this sport relief thing is. Uh, well, we'll come on to happening. that in a minute, but as I mentioned second time round accurately, you're a big Bath fan. So Lewis <laughs> Moody next to you. I, mean, I think Lewis yes. played. Half a game for Bath. Before, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what a, what a great half it was. Oh, it was incredible. Ru every time. Ru is there. Oh, he's there. Don't worry, Lewis. <laughs> he's, he's still fine. protecting you. He's still protecting you. Um, and we've got, so we got a, a shot of you in a Bath shirt uh, going through a bit of training. Sure. So here we go. And uh, tell us about this. When was this done? <laughs> it looks as though you've snuck into Bath's training camp. No yeah. one knows you're there. Yeah, this is at Farley. This is their training facility. Yeah. Nice <laughs> technique. Look at the booty. <laughs> but it's working. <laughs> It's, uh... And he nails oh, it. Well, I mean, yeah. nice job. <laughs> it's um, yeah, my uh, so the, the, the reason that I've the reason I'm such a massive Bath fan is because as a kid, my dad's always been a big Bath fan, and Alan's watching now. So good evening, Alan. Um, he uh, he was a big Bath fan, so he always took me down to the wreck, and I just I've always just fell in love with that place because it's an amazing place to watch. Yeah. 
rugby. It's, an, it's just an amazing sports venue, really. So we, we, got, uh, we got a tour of, of Farley, their, their training facility. Unbelievable. It's like Hogwarts, isn't it? It's so, it's so good up there. It's ridiculous. Isn't it? They've got the sort of altitude rooms and all the rest of it. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good. So that was, that was the second or third go. I was thinking of doing the, I was thinking of doing the Farrell sort of, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, the mad well. eyes. You did well. Yeah. Let's go on to this challenge because what you're going to be doing for Sport Relief sounds pretty impressive. Um, what you're doing to prepare for that sounds even more so. Yeah. Tell us about the Greg Athlon. So the Greg Athlon, worst name, but you will remember it. Yeah. So it's uh, it's five triathlons over five days, and it starts on Monday, wow. and they're basically they're longer than a normal Olympic triathlon. We wanted to, we wanted to. We wanted to make the triathlons as, as, as difficult as possible. We wanted to make it sound stupid. That was some training in the Serpentine a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the swims are going to be open water. So it's going to be roughly about a mile and a bit swim. It's going to be maybe a 40-mile bike ride and then a 10-mile run every day for five days in five different cities. And you start a week today in Belfast. Yeah, this right? time next Monday I'll be in Belfast. I'll have done the first one. Hopefully I'll still be alive. And <laughs> I'll have done so Belfast, then on to Cardiff, then up to Glasgow, then Sheffield, and then finish in Norwich next uh, next Friday. And I've just been training since November, really. And give us uh, an idea about the training because it sounds yeah. brutal. It's just as much swimming as possible, as much cycling, as much running, eating everything. I mean, I'm with professional sports people here, and right. you know you need to eat a lot to uh, you know some, some former. Um, <laughs> it still counts. But, you know, I've had to eat a lot and, uh, and everyone I speak to, they're like, oh, my God, you've lost weight, you look skinny. Because I'm, I'm just losing so many calories a day. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of getting into it and I'm really sort of enjoying it. But I think that might stop. Have you done Monday. a triathlon before? I haven't done a triathlon before. But I'm, I'm going to start with five. But you're just going to go straight with five. <laughs> just start with five, why not? Milos, does this sound like something you might like to try? I, I'd, I'd be all over that, but, but my swimming's not the, not the best, the to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be one arm, right arm. But it's the, it's the open best. water stuff that's tough, obviously, because it's, it's February and it's going to be really cold and we're going to be in the sea in Belfast. I think we're going to be in uh, the Clyde in Glasgow. So it's going to be... Uh, Do you have an all-in-one wetsuit or is it... It's, uh, uh, it's an all-in-one. All-in-one, yeah. all lovely. Thanks, for, you thanks for checking, that, though. The way you <laughs> said that, it didn't sound like sort of fashion statement. Actually, it's, it's an all-in-one. <laughs> kicking an all-in-one. Yeah. Uh, now, you, on your show, uh, you have your star caller mm -hmm. uh, as something. Who would your rugby heroes be for yourself? Who would... <laughs> well, obviously, uh, present company excluded. But I was, uh, I'm a massive Will Carling fan. Yeah. Got to meet him at the World Cup, which was good fun. Uh, I'm a big, um, how awesome I mean, obviously the late great Jonah was incredible. I think, um, yeah, I think I'd probably say Will back in the day was yeah. probably was a, was a big hero of mine. Yeah. Well, clearly you have nabbed the name Star Caller, uh, so we're thinking what name could we probably come up with? And we thought maybe uh, a star who's called. <laughs> okay, fair uh, enough. Took a while. Took a while, <laughs> and uh, we actually have him. On screen, and there he is. <laughs> it is you got him. Well, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Um, we have a fan for you here in the studio. Great. Ch chat to Will. Ch tell, tell Will what impressed you about him. Why is Will your hero? Oh, he's uh, he's sort of the per he was the perfect gentleman player, but he, he played. <laughs> no, no, but you know, into, off off the off the field, he was the gentleman, but he was uh, played it he played it really hard. And he was sort of my dad's my dad's hero as well. And those, <laughs> those two, they met at the World Cup, and I've never seen my dad more excited. <laughs> we, got, we got to have a chat with him and we sat and watched the game with him and stuff. 
and immediately there was this bond of old men who were just going, <laughs> old men, old men. I remember against Australia this and that. And it, it, was, uh, it was amazing, to, it was amazing to, to chat to him. Well, what about what this guy's going to be doing, this Greg Athlon? Five triathlons in, in five days. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I, very impressive. I, I, of course, have just done the eating a lot. Um, I'm just leaving out the training. As I think Ugo spotted that. <laughs> Three chins. Actually, there, Greg, how is uh, how is Alan? <laughs> See, uh, actual mates. Yeah, he's uh, he's all good. He was going to come down tonight, but then I, he realised that you weren't going to be here, so he didn't bother. So um, uh, but he, he'll be he'll be watching at home, and he'll have, he'll have loved his shout out. He probably would have fallen off the sofa just now. So yeah, all good. Well, but, seeing as we have you here, just a quick quick question. Um, looking ahead to to England's game against Scotland, uh, first game of the Six Nations. Um, are you excited by what uh, what Eddie Jones is putting together and the players that you see? Yeah, I, I am. I think. Uh... I know Lewis doesn't agree with me, but I think Dylan's a good call. Um, I think it's an interesting call. And I think there's going to be a, a different environment in, in that camp. And therefore, I'm going to be fascinated to see how England perform. I, it's going to be great. But as ever, um, Scotland are you know, making us huge favourites. I, I genuinely don't see it that way. I thought they were very impressive in the World Cup. So it is an incredibly hard game for England to start with. Great stuff. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us. We'll get, a, we'll get an address off Greg for Alan. You guys can get in contact. Keep in touch. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, Will Carling oh, in the Q-Town. Thank you. Any London Irish fans? No. OK, yeah. yeah. They're kind of hard to come by at the moment. There is a lot of them out there. And their club is really struggling at the moment. I suppose they're not helped by the fact that some of the players they produced over the years went off to conquer elsewhere. Marlon Yard and Alex Corbusier. I'm quite emotional about this. The Armitage <laughs> brothers as well. Thankfully now, they have a young fella who is a supreme try scorer and he is staying with London Irish. Yeah, 67 appearances across all competitions, 27 tries. He's a little legend. He's Alex Lewington. Challenge. Yeah. Really good to have you here. Really good to meet you in person. We've enjoyed you so much in the Premiership over the past two seasons. Not enjoying this so much as are any London Irish fans. What's going on? Yeah, I uh, fractured my thumb a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the cast probably makes it look worse than it is, but uh, hopefully back in a few weeks. Look at the girls behind you. Dreamy, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, let's talk about the new jersey for St. Patrick's Day before we talk about on-field matters. Obviously, a big game coming up in New York, which is hugely exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for all the players, it's amazing. I've personally never been to New York before, so just that alone is pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, it's a massive game for the club. Obviously, it's an annual thing. And uh, amazing to be playing it abroad this year. It is a Premiership game. It's a league game. It's an important game. What kind of crowd are you expecting there? Oh, I have no idea, but we've got the New York Red Bull Stadium. So uh, I think that's a 25,000. So if we can get anywhere near that, that'd be incredible. Well, all the expats, of course, will be over there for it. And I know a lot of them are really, really looking forward to it. It'll be a very, very sober event, obviously. Um, all those Irish. Uh, you have a jersey. Yeah. for the occasion. It's been designed by a very famous uh, Irish designer, Orla Kiley, who's a fantastic designer. You're probably, Orla Kiley, are you familiar with her? Yeah. Um, but she's designed this jersey, which is wonderful. So this yeah. is the first time it's been seen ever. It's for you. It's for me? Yeah. I've got my own jersey? <laughs> and it's a small. You've obviously <laughs> seen me naked. But there you go. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's the first time this has been seen in public. Give it a round of a look at that. Right. <laughs> I actually love that. Um, 
the way uh, the way the injury crisis has been at London Irish, I'm surprised I haven't had one of these on playing for you. It's been really, really tough at times. Just to explain to everyone how you've been dealing with injuries there at the club. Yeah, we've been a bit unlucky recently. Um, you know, injuries happen all the time. It's the nature of sport. And we seem to have had a bad season in terms of luck. Uh, fair few shoulder injuries, especially to a few key players for us. And, you know, it's just part and parcel of the sport. you just got to get on with it and hope the lads who are in the squad can back up you know, what the, what the older lads or the more experienced lads can do and put performance in for us at the weekend. Um, bit of a predicament now, and the relegation battle uh, at the bottom of the table is a really interesting one because you've got three really, really good sides who are all winning games. You know, we've had buffer teams in the past, I won't name them, at the bottom who've kind of allowed everyone not worry about relegation. This time, it's a real battle, isn't it? Are you concerned at London Irish? Yeah, I mean, obviously, looking at the table, we are bottom at the moment, which obviously you're going to be concerned with. But, you know, we have a lot of belief in our team. We've got Worcester at the weekend. If we can get a big win there, we come off the bottom and we may, may jump Worcester and Newcastle in one go. So it shows how tight it is. And we've got a big second half of the season to back up with. What, what games will you be targeting here? I mean, they're all pretty tough games, aren't they, in this league? But where will you look to be getting points? Yeah, obviously, we've got Worcester twice, Newcastle again, who we've already beaten. And then you just look to your home games, really. Obviously, we've got Gloucester and Sale at home and Quinns at home. There are a few games that you might look to to get wins. Exeter, we beat at home last year. So mainly the home games. You want to try and win as many as you can. And in the last six or seven weeks, we've actually done quite well at home. Uh, so that'll be what we're looking to, uh, to attack, really. Um, what, what's the fix? What do you think will fix this? Do you think you're getting close, something needs to click in? And if so, what is that ping? Yeah, we're not far away. It's just little things. I think our main issue at the moment is transferring what we do on the training paddock onto the pitch on the weekend. I don't know whether that's a, a pressure thing for some of the boys or whatever, but whatever it is, we're not far away. We've got the potential in our squad to definitely do it. And we've got 12 games to get it done, so I'm sure we can do it. And, and for all the fans out there, new signings have been promised all the time. Just today, Mike Conan, the Edinburgh captain, the back rower has been signed. Fantastic, you know, a Kiwi, a lot of experience. A bit of bulk as well, a bit of dog, which you need at times. Yeah, everyone loves a, loves a dog, don't they? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure he'll, he'll have a big impact to the club. And obviously, uh, Marshall being announced the other week, that's a big sign for us. He's obviously done great things down at the Hurricanes. So we've got a few good signings coming in and... Uh, it's looking pretty promising. Um, and we're not going to speculate too much about the, the, the future of the club a couple of years away, but exciting things are going to happen. The club is only going to get bigger, so stay with it, fans. That's the message, yeah, right? exactly. A convincing win, Lawrence, yeah. for Wasps over Northampton. Haven't won at Franklin's Garden since you were on the bench. Long time um, ago. <laughs> and questions over Wasps, whether they could take the yeah. European form into the Premiership certainly did it on Friday night. Yeah, they did. And um, I don't think anyone saw that result coming, to be honest, because Northampton, um, you know, have had their troubles this season, but at home they've been pretty good defensively as well. And it's a difficult time for coaches. Di Young would have been concerned that they hadn't been able to, you know, they played some outstanding rugby in Europe, but not been able to transfer that to the Premiership. And when you lose your England players like Haskell and Mullen and no Elliot Daly, going up there, I mean, in the end, he really relied on, on the masterclass performance from George Smith, who's the most experienced player. He was absolutely sensational. Lewis, tell us a little bit about, uh, about George Smith. You would have locked horns with him on several occasions. What's making him so strong at the moment? He just understands the game so well. He can get to situations before others. He understands, you know, what to do when he gets there. He, he takes his time. He doesn't, you know, I was, uh, I was passionate and sort of in there straight away. George, maybe slightly less intelligently, me, that is, not George. <laughs> George, George, you know, you look at the moment where, where he chases a kick through, instead of, you know, trying to smash the bloke, he just waits for him to get up, drops, rolls him into touch. You know, that's as good as a turnover. He's just, his lines of running, he understands the game. 
Um, you know, he was never one of the, the biggest trainers. He's not the fittest man on the park, but he certainly understands the game of rugby, just the lines that you need to take to get there and what you do when you're in those breakdown areas. He's just so effective in his offloading game and his ability to play you know, and support and link up with the backs is, is second and, to none. In fairness, you owned them in the quarter-final, right? Thank in you. 2008. Thank so you. we should yeah. state and, and that. Also, yeah. I mean, this, for all the clubs, with this block of 10 games, it's really going to challenge the squad, you know, the, the larger squads. I think Alex Reader came in from Rotherham, he's signed for Wasp, played his first game. You know, they're going to have to put players in that haven't necessarily played that much rugby right the way across, and it's going to be a, a test of the squad. Well, one thing about George Smith, I love the fact that Eddie Jones has, has brought him in. You know, Eddie Jones has gone on for ages about yeah. having an out-and-out out seven in England, and actually, you need to invest time and, uh, and money in creating one, and actually getting guys like George Smith in. How do you do it? What are the idiosyncrasies of your game? Why are you so good at it? And having someone like George in there for Hask and uh, the Kvesics and, and the Jack Clifford's only going to be beneficial for him. There's so much we could talk about Exeter as well. They're just really looking good at the moment. Have you watch much Exeter? They're, they're becoming the West West Country entertaining side now at the moment. Yeah, yeah. which is it's not great when you look at that. Table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not great to see. Obviously, it's great to see great rugby, but. It's a real shame to see Bath really slip away a little bit this season, considering that it was a, they had a very they had a really decent season last year, and uh, there's some great young players coming through. Obviously, you lose a lot when you have the internationals that disappear, but uh, the future the future is bright for that club. I think there's some there's some great people, great people coming back from injury as well. Um, it's a sh it's been a shame. It's been a frustrating season for Bath fans, but you know you got you got to stick with your team. Yeah. Now, Simon Middleton uh, is with us. Um, Simon, now we can really get into, into the women's rugby, into the women's Six Nations. Um, not a vintage year for England last year um, in, the, uh, in the Six Nations. As world champions, you would have expected a bit more. How are things shaping up this time around? Yeah, I think last year we, uh, you know, we, we came off the back of the, the World Cup and uh, you know, it was quite well documented. We had a lot of, a lot of retirements of very senior players. Uh, and the following year, we were going directly into uh, the qualification for the Olympics. So we stripped a lot of players, or lost a lot of players, away from the, the squad. So we had, we had to rebuild it. Uh, and it made last year quite a tough year. But we, we actually got a lot of things out of it that we set out to do, which was you know, build new players and start to rebuild the squad that Eddie Jones talked about, the 2003 World Cup squad, and how that was built over the course of two World Cups. It takes some time to put a squad together. And that's what we, we started to do immediately. Uh, so we, we saw... We finished fourth, uh, tables don't lie, uh, but ultimately you look at the results we had, we, you know, we, we lost to the eventual champions, Ireland by one score, and two minutes to go off the clock, we lost to France by one score, uh, and we blooded a lot of young players. So, yeah, from a table point of view, it was disappointing, but from an actual rebuilding point of view, it was really encouraging. Uh, we've got lots of new caps uh, into, into new players. Uh, this year, those players are a, a year on, and... Uh, and we're a, we're a year into a new coaching team. Uh, we've put a lot of work in. Uh, the guys have spent some time together, and, and yeah, we're expecting uh, we're expecting improved performances to go with that uh, improved experience as well. Yeah. Twenty players taken out of the uh, out of the fifteen game, made professional, full time players getting ready for Rio 2016. Is that important? Is that essential? Does the game need that? And if so, what are they going to be the benefits of that? Yeah, I, th I think it does. We're not in a, a position that uh, the, the men's game finds itself where we can split between the 15s and 7s. We've got uh, some of them. We've got an EPS of around 50 players, uh, but that, that's everybody in it. So what we have to do is we have to prioritise our competitions. And 
in 2014 it was a World Cup uh, and we, we lost a lot of players from the seven circuit uh, who, who went into that full-time programme or that semi-full-time programme as it, as it was for the, the uh, World Cup in 2014. Once we get through the Olympics this year, uh, the, you know, the, the, the emphasis will shift again. We, we're totally committed to defending the, the World Cup in 2017. Uh, we, we understand what it did for the game at the time. It took it, took it to a new level. Uh, what we want to do is we want to promote the women's game on the biggest of stages. Uh, I would say after the World Cup, the biggest stage is the Olympics. Some would argue it's bigger. So what we want to do is we want to put it out there to audiences that would never dream of watching rugby. Uh, you know, we watch the Olympic Games, you watch sports that you've never watched before. So obviously we can tap into a massive audience. It's usually important, the Olympics. Yeah. Well, the Six Nations is the immediate focus. This is your fixture list. You kick off yeah. against Scotland. Now, they've been in camp for a full, for a full week, and this, this is new for them. They've sort of had ad hoc training sessions. They're obviously taking this very, very seriously indeed. Um, are they going to pose a bigger challenge, maybe, than you've expect, uh, experienced in previous years? Yeah, without, without a doubt. They're, they're, like all the uh, Six Nations sides, they're, they're, they're growing, they're improving all the time. They're, the, uh, the interest in rugby is developing massively in Scotland like it is everywhere. Uh, they've also had a 10-day camp out in, in Spain where they've, they've done a lot of work together and invested some time. So they'll be, they'll be better for that. And uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be ultra competitive. Any Scotland side on their, own, on their own patch is going to be like that. Absolutely. Now we, here we can just see the, uh, the women's world rankings. World rugby has just started this. The initial world rankings, England sitting in third. You're there to be shot at. Where's the biggest challenge coming from in the Six Nations? Where, where are you going to have your toughest encounter? Oh, I, well, I, I would say uh, they're all going to be tough games. Wales will be, uh, will be really sort of up for it as well. They, they beat us for, uh, last year in the, in the opening uh, of, the, of the Six Nations, so they, they'll, be, they'll be encouraged by that. You, you know, you, you're always going to look at Ireland, who are defending champions, uh, and, and France, who are, are always difficult, and we've got them the, the, the last game on their own patch. So there's going to be tough games all the way along, to be honest. We talk about the influence of England's World Cup victory and more uh, focus on the women's game, and now, of course, the Sevens and Rio. Um, as more and more girls are playing, more and more women are playing rugby. This is the standings now from the, uh, from the women's game come the end of the season. And we saw their first final uh, where uh, Richmond women overcame Saracens 28-17 at the Stoop. How important is it for... For, as, as well as the internationals, to have a regular club scene. Yeah, it's, it's massively important. It's, it's where the, the fundamentals of the game are, are learned for a lot of the girls. And uh, you know, the, the Premiership final was absolutely outstanding. It was fantastic. It was televised, and we managed to the, the put a great show on both Richmond and Saracens, and promote the, everything that was good about uh, rugby, not just women's rugby. There was, there was some great forward play, and there's some great backs play as well. Uh, the, the stronger the Premiership is, the stronger the, the base of the, the baseline of the game will be, and, and the more talent you know, we'll hopefully get through. So it's hugely important. Well, we wish you all the best. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Lawrence, let's start with the pack. This is who we think the starting 15 are going to be. Yeah. All yours. So we've got the, the starting pack here with, obviously, the replacements. And I think uh, Eddie Jones has resisted the temptation to bring in uncapped players. He knows how tough this will be up in Scotland. He's gone for real experience. Just one thing worth bearing in mind, over 60 caps, captain. 
over 60 caps, former captain, over 60 caps, captain. So he's got some real leadership in the group, which is good. Joe Marler's probably slightly fortunate based on form. I think Vunapola is uh, probably the form loose head in the Premiership at the minute, but he's given the opportunity for Marler to really uh, cement his place as the starting one. Again, probably slightly lucky is Dan Cole. I think had Kieran Brooks been fit and available, um, he probably would have started. We know Dan Cole's a quality player, but he needs he's not quite last chance saloon, but he needs a big game from him as well. So he's almost put the pressure on the more experienced players. He said to Marler and Cole and Hartley, needed big games from you. This is an area where we've got real strength in the second row. I think these two on form deserve to be there. Launchbury was outstanding against Leinster last week and Cruz has been solid all the way through the season. Courtney Laws is out of form as well. He's not playing well for Northampton. was outstanding last year, so we're looking a little bit more from him. Um, and I'm sure there was a temptation to bring this guy in, but it's just a little bit too soon. He's already said, Eddie Jones, that this guy's going to earn over 60 caps for England, he hopes. But, you know, away against Scotland is not the time to do it. Um, Lewis would be fascinated to get your view on the, uh, on, the, on the back row. Clearly, this is the form number eight at the moment and uh, starting to add a little bit of football to, to, the, uh, you know, to the running game he's got. That's on experience at the minute, but obviously the big issue is seven. He's gone with Haskell probably because of, on the advice of George Smith at the breakdown, but Kvesic was an option, wasn't Yeah, I'm going to give you that. I think yeah. you might need it. Well, well yeah. I, you know, I like, uh, I like Matt Kvesic. I think Haskell's actually, you know, in terms of what Eddie Jones has said, he said he wants an out-and-out out seven, hasn't he? For mm. me, Kvesic's... You know the out-and-out out seven that England have. I would have, uh, I would have Kvesic. I would have given him an opportunity because he's been around the squad so long. He just needs that chance to play. And I probably would have put Haskell, uh, Haskell at six. You know, which would be very harsh. Sorry, Mudas. Usually you're breaking parts of your body. You broke your microphone oh, this time, man. so use that because thanks very much. Okay. Well, it was a quick point on uh, on Kvesic. I think he's England's out-and-out out seven yeah. at the minute, and I would love to have seen him in and given an opportunity. It's harsh on Robshaw because he's been having an outstanding season. Would have played Haskell at six. His yeah. strength over the ball at the moment, you know, is the reason yeah. he's probably going to so, be in at so seven. So we think the, the likes of Clifford and Atoji will come in. Ugo, the backs. Over yeah, to you. the backs. I think is really tight to the men. You've got Danny Kerr. I think he's likely to start at nine. However, when you look at the strength and depth between Youngs and Benny, um, Danny Kerr, outstanding. Ben Youngs going really well. In the, in the European Cup, Ford and Farrell. I think that's a massive talking point. Had Henry Slade been fit, I think we'd be seeing his, his name in that 12 jersey, but we're not. Andy, sorry, Owen Farrell, oh my gosh, not Andy Farrell. Owen Farrell, Thank the you. outstanding 10 in England at the moment, but he sacrificed that for the dynamic of the back line. So we've got Ford, instinctive, takes the ball flat to the line with Owen Farrell at 12. I think that's a really good centre partnership. Jonathan Joseph at 13. Well, for me, the outstanding 13 in the Premiership this year is Elliot Daly. If you're looking for a player on form, so exciting. You saw the try scored against Leinster. Unbelievable. So, but it's great to see so many combinations and so much form within that. The back three outstanding here. Jack Null at 11. He's hungry. Carries his physical, outstanding in the air. Anthony Watson, we saw him on the VT there. He's a guy thrilled within the World Cup. No doubt he'll do the same. And Mike Brown, he's not a stopgap for anyone. He's probably been um, England's most outstanding back for the last few years. Away in Murrayfield, if you want someone to be secure under that ball, there's no one better in Europe than that. And these guys are all interchangeable. They can all play at fullback. Um, can I just borrow your devotion for a yeah, moment please, and, and just put him beside Daly because I think that's the one that shocked a lot of people that Daly wasn't in and Devoto is it his ability to, to cover so many positions? I think so I think he's been done just because uh, for me Ellie Daly can only play 13 we saw in the World Cup when you put centres out of position we saw Brad Barrett going to 13 doesn't work so much however Farrell goes off we'll say he goes to 10 Devoto slots into 12 absolutely doesn't mess it up 
Another person which has actually been a bit... I mean, Alex Good playing brilliant rugby this season. But for me, I would have gone a 6-2 split. Whether Courtney Laws is fit or not, I'd have Itoji there, I'd have Ben Youngs, and I'd have Oli DeVoe wherever he is. I'd have him there, knowing that Jack Noel can play fullback, Brownie can play on the wing. These guys are interchangeable. Oli DeVoe can do a job there. And going up at Murrayfield, where it's going to be really tough, I'd go forward heavy, couple of backs on the bench. That's my back line. Quick word of Murrayfield, opening game. Uh, let's have a quick look at the Scotland team. Yep. Bates is going to delve deeper in a moment, but where are the key matchups for you? Where are the well, key head-to-heads? Well, Ugo's already said it, really. For Scotland, it'll be at half-back with Finn Russell and Greg Laidlaw. We'll see how influential Laidlaw is um, from the World Cup. They're well-organised, well-drilled, but also up front. That's the reason Eddie Jones has picked that pack. The scrum has to be a really strong contest and the set-piece has to be an area that England win. And you know They've got a good record. I think Scotland have only won three out of the last 27 matches against England. So, yes, it is a tough opening game, but it's one that England can win. We are just speculating here. Let's speculate a little bit further with Babes over here, lads. Uh, Mudos, you keep that microphone with you because uh, Six Nations just around the corner. It comes around so quick. So much to be discussed, Babes. So there much are. to be you, discussed. You guys, you've already touched on, on Finn Russell and, uh, and George Ford, so we know that's going to be a huge encounter. Um, when, we look at the, when we look at back rows, when we look at back rows uh, as we go through the various teams, let's look at uh, the matchup for France and Italy. Guy Noves, Lawrence, his first outing mm. as French coach, up against uh, Jacques Brunel, his final outing. Two class number eights, uh, Picamol against Parisi. These are key men in teams which are trying to find their way, trying to find their strength. Who comes out on top? Well, I mean, both these sides, really, Italy and France, have underperformed in recent years. Um, but when they do play well, it's these two that stand out for me. You know, wonderful ball carriers. Piccamol really gets his side on the front foot. He's got the ability to put in the offloading game as well. Parisi is just at the heartbeat of everything that is good about Italian rugby. And, you know, you worry for Italy with the results they've had in recent years and they'll need another massive tournament from him. He started the World Cup injured. I don't think he ever really recovered and got Italy going, but he can get them, uh, you know, firing in this Six Nations. And, uh, you know, if he, if he goes well, the Italian side tends to play well too. He is a remarkable player. Quickly on to uh, Ireland against Wales. For Wales, Sam Warburton, key man. But Lewis hasn't played a lot of rugby. Do you see him in that back row uh, with Tipperick uh, possibly, or does Tipperick get the nod over him? Do you know, I, I love seeing Tipperick and Warburton play together. They really combine well. And, uh, you know, we've not seen enough of them over the years playing together. Sam Warburton is, you know, an absolute out-and-out class performer on his day. Um, Tipperick really gives another dimension as well. You know, I, I just think that combination really will work for, for Wales going forward. Whether they go with it or not, I, you know, will be, will be interesting to see. And he, potentially up against Sean O'Brien, yeah. he's got to raise his game because Ireland are not the force possibly that they were, and they're missing key men. Well, Joe Schmidt's admitted it might be a difficult campaign for Ireland. They've, they've won the tournament for the last two, uh, two championships on points difference, but, you know, replacing Paul O'Connell, he's now gone. Peter Mahoney, of course, injured. Henderson, Mike Ross, Marty Moore, you know, Craig's wincing when I, you I know, know, read yeah, off the names yeah, yeah, because yeah. they have got a long injury list. So there are looks of people like Sean O'Brien and Sexton to, uh, you know, to win it. And so much hinges on that first game against Wales for and Ireland. Joe Schmidt is saying we're looking maybe mid-table finish. And I think for the first time in a while, Irish fans are believing that as well. But hey, it's all cyclical. We'll come back again. Um, what a show we've had. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone. Rugby Tonight will be back next week with another Six Nakes and special. Ireland special. Will it go? Tom, do I just can't talk about Ireland at the moment. It's too upsetting. Tommy Bow are going to be here. Up you go. Now, if you want to join us here in the audience for that show, 
Get in touch. Audience at Rugby Tonight. Thanks, Lewis, to Simon, to Greg and to Alex. Greg, all the very best with your Greg Ashworth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back next week with another Six Nations special, this time with the focus on Ireland, featuring special guest Tommy Bowe, along, of course, with Brian O'Driscoll. Don't forget, you can apply for free tickets by emailing audience at rugbytonight.com. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.